Welcome to the podcast of Scott Street MB Church. We hope you find this message inspiring and encouraging in your walk as a disciple of our Lord Jesus Christ. Today is Pentecost Sunday, 50 days after Easter. One of the high holy days that uh, the Jewish people would celebrate. And I think it's fitting that in our study through the book of Exodus, we come to the place where we see the glory of God that would be fulfilled many, many years later on the day of Pentecost, as we read in Acts chapter 2, where again we see the Spirit of God being poured out. Now, as Israel was journeying from Egypt to the Promised Land, God used this time to teach and instruct them about many things. And uh, there was much that they had to learn about honoring God, about obeying his leading, but they also had to learn how to live with each other. These are things that, uh, there are things that we will learn only when we go through desert times. And you know what I mean by desert times, those times in your life when you feel like you're in a wilderness, when you feel like you're in a dry place. Well, they had been a nation that had been held in captivity. We've talked about this. Their actions were dictated to them by their taskmasters, but now they were developing a a new identity. Uh, They were developing a new relationship with God. It's like they were a brand new Christian who was learning what it meant to be a Christian, learning what it was like to live in a community of faith, learning what it was like to follow the leadings of the Father. Now, after Moses had received the Ten Commandments from God, and by the way, this set of commands is still today forms the basis for many of the laws of our land, uh, and he delivers them to the people, God continues then to instruct Moses as how his law would unfold. Now, as we see in all parts of the Bible, God will progressively reveal himself to his people. As we're studying through the Gospels, one of the tenets that we have in our studies is that God progresses, Jesus progressively reveals himself, his nature, to his disciples and then by extension to us. He doesn't give it all at once. He progressively gives us little bits and pieces. And they, this will be a nation that he has chosen to be his own. Now we're going to take just a quick look at some of the highlights of some of these chapters because The portion of scripture that I was given this morning is 14 chapters long. Okay, so if you want me to read it all, I will. Did you bring your lunch? Okay, we're going to hit some of the highlights of these 14 chapters, and then we're going to end up in the portion that Joan read for us this morning. As we said, some of these are are instructions that are given to Moses for the people, But we're going to see that every one of them is given with the intent of developing them as individuals and as a nation. Now in chapter 20, he gives instructions on how to properly approach God. Now this could be a sermon series all on its own. And think about it. How do we prepare to approach God? How did you prepare for his presence today? When you're getting up this morning, how did you prepare your hearts to receive the worship and give worship, how did you prepare your hearts for the word in his presence? And what does he tell them? He says you need to build an altar, a place where you can offer up to God. 
Hmm. Worship, as we see again, is not all about us. It's all about him. And we come to offer ourselves. Our offering is not just what the ushers collect. Our offering is our worship. A sacrifice of praise, Scripture calls it at times. And I like what was said. May our, our worship be acceptable to you. And so there were instructions on how to properly approach God. We read in, in Psalm 100, 100, I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. I will enter his courts with praise. A proper entry into the presence of the king. Then from chapters 21 to 23, he gives rules for getting along with each other. Laying down the ground rules of what will eventually be the second of the two greatest commandments that Jesus keys in in the Gospels. And in the specifics, he is going to say, okay, well, here's what you do. If somebody knocks your tooth out, well, you knock his tooth out. It was called an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. That was the Old Testament law where you love your neighbor as yourself, or in equal standings. Now, when Jesus comes, he says, this is what you've heard, but I'm going to give you a new commandment. It goes past that. The old commandment was love your neighbor as yourself. The new commandment is love your neighbor, love everyone the way that I loved you. Now, that superseded the old, where the old says, if you know, your, your neighbor hits you, you hit him back. This one was, if your neighbor hits you, love him. You see, Jesus loved us more than he loved himself. He loved us more so that it was not us up on the cross with him. He was on the cross for us. He went above and beyond. Now, these rules, there you'll see a code of conduct that every civilization around the world has adopted wherever you go. They have a, a set of rules as to how this community works. And that's what God was doing in teaching them how to live with each other. How to get along with each other and how to make sure that everything went smoothly. But then in chapter 23, and this is all preamble to what I really want to talk to you about this morning... In chapter 23, verses 10 to 13, there's the necessity of a sabbatical rest. It's emphasized. And it's interesting because this is the fourth of the Ten Commandments. God himself patterned this at the creation, and we are created in such a way that one day out of seven, we need to rest from our labors and dedicate that time to rest and refreshing. Now, I think if we're honest with ourselves, this is an area that most of us are very negligent in. An area that we tend to skip over in the busyness of life. Yet we should regard it with as much respect as not killing or not stealing because it was the fourth of the Ten Commandments that God gave. We tend to minimalize it. And so, oh, yeah, well, I should. I should. How many have ever said you should do something and never got it done? Yeah. I think it was uh, Francis of Assisi once says, 
I can't do all things, but I can do some things. The things I can do, I ought to do, and the things I ought to do, by the grace of God, I will do. I think we need to revisit the aspect of rest. Why are so many people this day burned out, tired out, emotionally stressed? Because we've not taken time to rest. When they did away with the Sabbath day law where stores were open all the time, that was a great injustice to many, many people. Said, but I can't afford to rest. Friends, if God said it, you can't afford not to. You can't afford not to. And the older I get, the more I appreciate that. I remember what my dad used to say as he got older. He said when he was younger, the thing he hated to do was take a nap. He said now that he was older, and he passed away when he was 80, he said the only thing better than one hour's nap is two hours. (laughs) I'm not there yet, but I'm thinking about it. But then in chapter 23, verses 20 to 33, we see the blessings of obeying God and the promises that he made to prosper and to protect those who obey, God sending his own angel to protect them and to fight for them. Now, I said we're just skipping over this really, really quick. But as you read through it, uh, you're going to, to, I'm sure, as God, by his Spirit speaks to you, you're going to be blessed by it, especially this. From chapters 25 to 30, he goes into great detail to describe the tabernacle and all of its furnishings. He said, oh, wow. This is great. We see descriptions. We see measurements. We see materials. We see purposes all given in great detail. So much so that many readers will just skip over these chapters to get back to the action. Okay, true confession time. How many when you're reading through the scriptures tend to skip over the genealogies? Okay. How many, when you're reading through the tabernacle, tend to skip over how everything was made? All right, let's read this in detail, all five chapters. No. (laughs) What do we see here? Here's what we see. God is concerned with all the details of what he's doing. He is concerned about the little things. And as such we can take great comfort in knowing that there is nothing too small or insignificant in our lives that he does not care about. And when I was reading through this, how he said, here's how you have to fashion it. Here's here's an example. Chapter 26. Uh, He's telling Moses how to make the temple curtains. In verses 2 to 4, he says, All the curtains are to be the same size, 28 cubits long and 4 cubits wide. Join five of the curtains together and do the same with the other five. Make loops of blue material along the edge and and on the end curtain in one set and do the same with the end curtain in the other set. He said, how can you get blessed with that? I can get blessed with that because God is telling him exactly what to do for every situation. And there's nothing that happens in our lives that escapes his view. And everything that happens to us is important to him. Everything. 
God is in the details. Psalm 139 tells us he even sees our substance. As it was coming together in our mother's womb. And he takes the time to write it down in his book. David says, your thoughts toward me are more in number than the sand. See, you matter to God. You're not an accident. You're not insignificant. You are precious in his sight. And you can come to him with all your cares, all your anxieties, because God has got a plan for your life. And the same God who spelled out the little details on how to make every aspect of this tabernacle, he left nothing in doubt, is able to direct our paths as we read in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. He is able to see everything. He knows our anxieties. He knows our stresses. He knows our thoughts. He knows our fears. Matthew chapter 6, verse 25, 27 says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And then Jesus goes on in Matthew to further explain the great care the Father has for us. Why? Because God is in the details. Next time you read that, you're going to read it in a different light. Because if God so spells out the little things in building a tabernacle... Are you not much more valuable than they? Then in Exodus chapter 31, God even provides two men, Bezalel and Aholiab, with the spirit of wisdom and understanding to be able to craft all the articles that Moses has been shown while he met with God on the mountain. See, it's great to have a set of blueprints, but if you don't have anyone who knows how to read blueprints, you're, you're in trouble. And so God gives these two guys Spirit of wisdom and understanding. Say, this is how you do what I've asked you to do. The hymn goes to say, All I have needed, thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. In all this, then we come to what we do so well. We get impatient. Chapter 32. Moses is absent. The people come to Aaron to make them tangible gods of gold. The golden cows you... I don't need to go into detail. You've heard this story in Sunday school probably a hundred times. What's that tell us? It tells us that we are made to worship. That's how we're made. We're wired that way, but unfortunately there are many today that are directing their worship to things other than the Lord. They have made for themselves gods of many things. They've made gods of ambition, of power, of money, of ease, of pleasure, of family, and so on. See, anything that takes the place that God alone should possess is really an idol in our lives. Then there's still others, as we have alluded to earlier, that have made worship 
something to gratify themselves instead of giving glory and honor to God. Worship is not about us. It is about God. That's why we should always say, Lord, may our worship be acceptable to you. See, in spite of all that God had done for them, in spite of all the provisions he had made and the carefulness with which he had given them proper instructions as to how to live, they still acted as Isaiah, centuries later, would describe. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And are we any different? Lest we judge them too quickly, we need to examine ourselves. And I'm sure that we will find that we also needed the grace and mercy of God and indeed still do every day. And in chapter 32 and 33, Moses reacts with burning anger for the wickedness of the people and God himself would have wiped them off the face of the earth if Moses had not stood between the most holy God and a sinful nation and he pleads for them, even as Jesus today pleads for us before the throne of God, as our intercessor. See chapter 32, verse 31, 32. So Moses went back to the Lord and said, Oh, what a great sin these people have committed. They have made themselves gods of gold, but now please forgive their sin. Dash. But if not, then blot me out of the book you have written. See, Moses offered himself up. Even as centuries later, Jesus would also offer himself up for the sins of the world. What an amazing picture. And one that we would only grasp the significance of centuries later. Okay, now, this is all preamble. Because I don't want you to miss what was in those chapters. But here's what we want to really talk about for just a few minutes this morning. Here it is. Chapter 33, we see an earnest plea from the heart of Moses to the heart of God. And I want us to focus on this. The Lord speaks to Moses in verse 14 and says, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. He promised his presence. He promised he would not leave them. Moses replies, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. In other words, We don't want to go anywhere without you, Lord. If you're not coming with us, then we don't want to go. Please don't send us if you're not coming. We as a church are on the threshold of some very important decisions. We as a church have a future in front of us that we are earnestly asking God for direction for. And the desire of the search committee, the desire of the the board, the desire of the staff, the desire of the congregations is, God, 
we need your leading. We need to know your will. We say, Lord, we need you. Please don't let us go anywhere or do anything where you won't be with us. Show us where we should go and what we should do. And God grants that request every day through the Bible. Say, Lord, what do you, what's your will? We, we have it in front of us right here. We have the word of God, which is our rule of faith and authority. It's our roadmap to heaven. And we have his precious Holy Spirit who leads us into all truth. And today, again, we celebrate Pentecost, which on that day, 2,000 years ago, the Holy Spirit became the abiding presence of God on earth as he was poured out in fulfillment of Joel's prophecy. I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. And after such a plea, Moses then asked God for one of the most precious blessings in the whole of Scripture. He says, now show me your glory. He says, God, I really want to know you. Let me see your power. Let me see your majesty. Let me see all that this human mind can comprehend. God, let me see you. Paul the Apostle echoed this plea in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10 to 11. He says, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and the participation of his sufferings, becoming like him in his death and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Moses, I can just see him. So, oh God, we've talked. You've, you've given me commands, you've given me instructions, but God, I don't want to know just about you. God, I want to know you. God, show me. Show me your glory. Lord, take me to that next level. Here's what God says. I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. Moses asked to see the glory, and God says, you want to see the glory? Here it is. Here's what makes up my glory. He says, I'll show you my goodness. Why? Because it's my goodness that is glorious. I will proclaim my name. Why? Because my name is glorious. I appreciated what Lydia said earlier about the name of Jesus being the highest name. And I appreciated the songs that Aaron led us in today talking about the glory of God filling this place. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. He says his mercy, that's part of his glory. His compassion. See, the glory is not just a cloud 
His glory is made up of all of these attributes that he has. His, his goodness, his name, his mercy, his compassion. That's what makes God glorious. And that's what he said to Moses. You want to see what glory is? I will show you all of this. All of these together what makes up the glory of God. It's unique to him alone. Isaiah 42 says, I am the Lord, that's my name. I will not yield my glory to another or my praise to idols. He doesn't give his glory away. Yet in Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3, we, we read that the Son, Jesus, is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. If you ever wanted proof that Jesus was in fact God the Son and the Son of God in flesh, it's right here. Because God does not give his glory to another, yet Jesus is the, the very brightness and the radiance of his glory. The only way that we then are able to participate in this glory of God is when his precious Holy Spirit takes up residence within us. And it's his righteousness within us, not ours. His righteousness. He doesn't give it to us. But as we receive Christ into our lives, it radiates through the, right, the righteousness of Christ. That's why scripture says, Christ in us, the hope of glory. See, Moses cries out to God for him to show him his glory and he allowed all that is glorious about himself to pass by Moses while he shielded him with his hand as Moses was placed in the cleft of the rock. An old hymn that I grew up with. He hideth my soul in the cleft of the rock that shadows a dry, thirsty land. He hideth my life in the depths of his love, and he covers me there with his hand. When we cry out to see the glory of God, what does God say to us today? He says, look at my son. You want to see my glory? You look at my son. For he is the radiance of my glory. Look at Jesus, for everything you want to see in me is reflected through him. Hebrews 12, 2, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. In his anger over the sin of Israel, God would, would have been just in wiping them off the face of the earth. And in his anger towards all of us who have sinned against his glory, he would be justified in wiping us off the face of the earth. For Israel, Moses temporarily stepped in the gap between God and man. And Jesus finally stepped into the gap between God and man. And God in his mercy and grace has, has accepted the sacrifice of his son Jesus as payment for our sins. And we have been declared no longer guilty. He doesn't say we never sinned because that would not be right. But he says, you are no longer guilty because the penalty has been paid. <clears throat> we have been justified through the blood that Jesus shed on the cross. 
The song says, I'm forgiven because he was rejected. I'm accepted. He was condemned. See, the God of the details cares so much about every aspect of your life, and through Jesus, we have access then into the very presence of Almighty God. Well, our passage ends, and uh, Aaron, bring your team back up, if you would, please. Our passage ends with Moses having to carve out another set of tablets. Why? Because in his anger over the sin of Israel, somebody said Moses was the worst sinner. He broke all Ten Commandments at once. (laughs) He had to carve out another set, and God once again took his finger and wrote his law for them to have, that which occupied the Ark of the Covenant. And again today, he offers his free gift of grace and forgiveness. And again today, he invites us to become part of his family. Today, he is writing his love with his finger on the tablets of your heart. So my question as I leave it with you, are you listening to Thank you for listening. For any questions about the message or to contact any of our pastors, please visit scottstreetchurch.ca.